Hello everyone, welcome back to the Legends of Brittany. We are now on the Lay of the Dolores Night. Once more the scene is laid in Nantes, and some harpers, says Marie, call it the Lay of the Four Sorrows. In this city of Brittany dwelt a lady on whom four barons of great worship had set their love. They were not singular in this respect as a damsel's bright eyes had set fire to the hearts of all the youths of the ancient town. She smiled upon them all, but favoured no one more than another. Out of this great company, however, the four noblemen in question had constituted themselves her particular squires. They vied with one another in the most earnest manner to gain her esteem, but she was equally gracious to all, and it was impossible to say that she favoured any. It was not surprising, then, that each one of the four nobles believed that the lady preferred him to the others. Each of them had received gifts from her, each cried her name at tournaments. On the occasion of a great jousting, held without the walls of Nantes, the four lovers held the list and from all the surrounding realms and duchies, came hardly, came hardy knights to break a spear for the sake of chivalry. From matins to vespers, the friendly strife raged fiercely, and against the four champions of Nantes, four foreign knights especially pitted themselves. Two of these were Hainault, and the other two were Flemings. The two companies charged each other so desperately that the horses of all eight men were overthrown. The four knights of Nantes rose lightly from the ground, but the four stranger knights lay still. Their friends, however, rushed to their rescue, and soon the challenges were lost in the sea of steel. Now the lady in whose humour the lists were defended by these four brave brethren, in arms sat beholding their powers in keenest anxiety. Soon the knights of Nantes were reinforced by their friends, and the strife waxed furiously, sword to sword, lance to lance. First one company, then the other gained the advantage. But, urged on by rashness, the four challenging champions charged boldly in front of their comrades and became separated from them, with the dire result that three of them were killed, and the fourth was so grievously wounded that he was born from the press in a condition hovering between life and death. So furious were the stranger knights because of the resistance that had been made by the four champions that they cast their opponent's shields outside the lists. But the knights of Nantes won the day and raising their three slain comrades and him who was wounded carried all four to the house of their lady love. When the sad procession reached her doors, the lady was greatly grieved and cast down. To her three dead lovers she gave sumptuous burial in a fair abbey. As for the fourth, she tended him with such skill that ere long his wounds were healed, and he was quite recovered. One summer day, the knight and the lady sat together after meat, and a great sadness fell upon her because of the knights who had been slain in her cause. Her head sank upon her breast, and she seemed lost in reverie of sorrow. The knight, perceiving her distress, could not well understand what had wounded her so deeply. Lady, said he, a great sorrow seems to be yours. 
Reveal your grief to me, that perchance I can find you comfort. Friend, replied the lady, I grieve for your companions who are gone. Never was lady or damsel served by four such valiant knights, three of whom were slain in one single day. Pardon me if I call them to mind at this time, but it is my intention to make a lay, in order that these champions and yourself may not be forgotten, so I will call it the lay of the four sorrows. Nay, lady, said the knight, call it not the lay of the four sorrows, but rather the lay of the dolorous knight. My three comrades are dead. They have gone to their place. No more hope of their wife. All their sorrows are ended, and their love for you is as dead as they. I alone am here in life, but what have I to hope for? I find my life more bitter than they could find the grave. I see you in your comings and goings. I may speak with you, but I may not have your love. For this reason I am full of sorrow and cast down, and thus I beg you, give your lay my name and call it the lay of the dolorous knight. The lady looked earnestly upon him. By my faith, she said, you speak truly. The lay shall be known by the title you wish it to be. So the lay was written and entitled as the knight desired it should be. I heard no more, says Marie, and nothing more I know. Perforce I must bring my story to a close. The end of the lay in this medieval manner and fitly concludes this chapter. We are left absolute in the dark as to whether the knight and the lady came together at last. I, for one, do not blame Marie for this, as with a subtle sense of fitness of things that belongs to all great artists, she saw how much more effective it would be to leave matters as they were between the lovers. There are those who will blame her for the inconclusiveness, but let them bear in mind that just because of what they consider her failing, in this respect, they will not likely to forget her tale. Whereas as it ended with wedding bells, they will probably have stored it away in some mental attic with a thousand other dusty memories. And that's actually quite true, really, <laughs> when you think about it. If you leave a story in suspense... It's unlikely to be forgotten, but if you leave a story with a happy ending, more than likely, kind of gets forgotten over time. Maybe not all the details, but you remember the basics, but not so intricate. So yeah, I get that. Thank you for listening to the last lay from Marie of France. Um, when we come back, we'll be on to the saints of Brittany. It's very important are the saints of Brittany. Thank you for listening and many blessings.